Now, let's jump into this new sermon series that I'm so excited about. Uh, we're calling it I Like Jesus, comma, but. <laughs> uh, this is going to be a series for those of us uh, who love the idea of this Jesus, uh, but we're not so sure about other things. The way I sort of see it in my head is you or me, we're on one side of a spectrum, and Jesus is on the other side. And we've heard a lot about him, we're excited about him, but there's a lot of obstacles and barriers in the way. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to talk about the four common barriers I hear when I'm talking to you or I'm talking to my friends. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about this idea of, I like Jesus, but God sure seems angry and mean and violent. Uh, this is a common obstacle. You just see God as this, uh, this person. Why is he so angry? And then the week after that, I'm excited. We're going to talk about, I like Jesus, but I don't want to be weird. <laughs> uh, that's the one I'm, I'm passionate about. Uh, and then the week after that, we're going to talk about another obstacle. I like Jesus, but does he like me? Uh, you know yourself uh, more than anybody. I know myself more than anybody. How could someone like Jesus like me after all that I've done? Uh, but today, we're talking about possibly the biggest barrier, the biggest obstacle out of all of these. And that is, I like Jesus, but I don't like religion or church. This is a common one I hear from my friends, a common one I hear from young adults. I, I like Jesus, but I don't like religion or church. So we're going to talk about that today. Uh, to start, I want you to, to picture with me uh, this scene. It's 2006, and uh, there's a father. And this father had uh, raised his son all of his life. Uh, like any kind of parent, I'm a parent. Uh, you just go through the difficulties and the love and the hardships, and you're just so bonded to your son or your daughter. And the son, uh, his son got to be 20 years old. And at that time, his son enlisted to be a part of the military. And so his son goes off, and for five months, he was in the war in, war in Iraq. And this father, for five months, would send letters back and forth to his son. And then imagine... Uh, after these five months, the feeling that this father had uh, when he got a knock on the door, and it was two uh, military officers. And of course, he knew exactly why they were there, why they were dressed up, and they were coming to tell him that his son had been killed in service in Iraq. And imagine the feeling that this father would have as he hears this news, he's wrestling with this news, the next thing he needs to do is go tell his 17-year-old daughter and so he goes to his daughter's workplace, and she's, of course, distraught. And then they go together and, in order to tell uh, his ex-wife, his son's mom. And just the pain and the anguish, this 20-year-old son that you've loved and poured your heart into is now gone. And then uh, they get to the funeral. And if you've ever had any kind of tragedy uh, where you've attended a funeral, you just know uh, that it is such a out-of-body experience. It doesn't even seem real. You're trying to grasp this idea of celebrating a life, but this life is going to be gone. So imagine with me, this father's dealing with all the out-of-body stuff, with the funeral, hard as it is, and then uh, he looks over in a, a different part of the cemetery. He sees some signs like this. And he hears people yelling, and there's a group of people picketing, and they they're, they have all different kind of signs. And then he looks at the signs, 
Thank God for dead soldiers, which his son was one of them. And then he finds out that the group who has come to picket this funeral, has these signs, is a group called Westboro Baptist Church. Church. Now, if you're uh, familiar with this particular church, you know they're extreme. Uh, they're, they, they go to the, the utmost extreme. So it's less about them, but this word church. It has so much baggage. It's so loaded. It has so much weight. For centuries and centuries, this word church carries a lot with it. Maybe uh, when you hear church, you think about your history classes, and you learn about this period called the Crusades, uh, when for a period, uh, the Latin Christian church uh, would go after people that (laughs) weren't their religion, and they had a war with them. They would kill each other. Or maybe uh, when you hear the word church, you think of all the scandals and abuse that have taken place over the years uh, by pastors, by priests, the very people uh, who are instructed to shepherd the hearts and souls, and they're taking advantage, being predators to other people. Or maybe when you hear the church, maybe it's not that extreme or or that deep. Uh, Maybe it's sort of something like me. I I used to work for Starbucks, and... uh, uh, was that a one clap? <laughs> Thank you for alleviating that tension. That was perfect. Uh, I worked for Starbucks, and when I first started working there, uh, I, it was really interesting. Some of my coworkers, I, I found them fighting who who had to work on Sunday. I was like, oh, I could work Sunday. What's the deal? And they're like, well, Sunday is when all the church crowd comes through. And uh, it's all the church people. This was in Oklahoma, too. All the church people in a rush, they order tons of coffee and pastries, and they're in a rush to get to their Sunday school. And so they're super rude, and they don't tip or anything. How interesting is that? Like, on their way to learn about Jesus, but we're in a rush. Um, So maybe it's a little more like that. Uh, Maybe you have experienced yourself some kind of emotional baggage or hurt from the church. And that becomes a huge barrier or obstacle. There's a great theologian who, who sums it up really well. I don't think there's anything wrong with the teachings of Jesus, but I'm suspicious of organized religion. Madonna. <laughs> that's, a, that's a theologian. Uh, but she expresses what many of us in our culture today express. Interested in the teachings of Jesus, suspicious of church and organized religion. How many people have given up on Jesus because of this barrier? How many have been turned off to Jesus because of this? You and I, we live in the most unchurched area in all of the country. How many people are simply not going to church because they've been turned off by this barrier of religion and church? And so what we want to discuss tonight is this concept. What if, what if Jesus never asked anyone to join a religion? What if Jesus never asked anybody to become a Christian? What if Jesus never asked anybody to become a member of a church? Some interesting things to think about. See, here's the main thing I want to talk about tonight, the main thing I want to get across. We need to take our focus off of religion and church And we need to focus our attention on Jesus. We need to zoom out from religion and church for a while and focus on Jesus. 
you know, since we all have smartphones, all of us think we're sort of professional photographers, you know, I've noticed that. Uh, and I know, like, the latest iPhones, all this kind of stuff, you can do, I don't know the name of this effect, but if you're, I think it's portrait mode or something, but you can zoom in on one thing, and then everything else gets blurry. Yeah, I have an example up here of a cat, cats, because uh, I know some people like cats. I'm not one of those people by any means, but if you like cats, sure. Uh, but you focus on an image. Maybe it's the background or the foreground. The other things get blurry. And, and what we need to do is we need to focus our lens on Jesus. That's our focus. And let the other things become blurry. So today I want to simply uh, focus on Jesus and look at some of the barriers that church and religion commonly have with people. So the first thing I want to look at is what is the church? What is this church thing all about in the first place? So the church was first spoken of by Jesus in Matthew 16, 18. And sort of the backstory, if you don't know, Jesus uh, uh, was teaching and performing miracles. He was a rabbi. He had these disciples that were following him everywhere he went. And uh, in Matthew, he sits down one of his disciples named Peter and he says this. So this is the first time that we see the mention of a church. And Jesus says this, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So Jesus says this, On this rock I will build my church. The Greek word for church there is ecclesia. Ecclesia. Turn to somebody around you and say ecclesia. Ecclesia. Sort of sounds like a Game of Thrones character to me or something. Ecclesia, sister of the dragons. I don't know. I've never, I don't know Game of Thrones. Okay. Ecclesia, in its simplest form, the Greek word ecclesia it means a gathering or an assembly. It's a gathering of people. It's an assembly of people. And Jesus says, I want you to build a gathering of people uh, that would... Uh, he says, who? My church. Whose church? My church. A gathering of people around the character and the characteristics of Jesus. At simplest form, the church was meant to be a gathering of people focused on the principles of Jesus. And then uh, the next big uh, part of the church takes place in Acts 2, where we see this beautiful uh, story. And this is in Acts 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, Tending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So this gathering was focused on Jesus, breaking bread together, praying, taking care of the needy. A gathering of people devoted to the way of Jesus, committed to serving others. This, my friends, this is beautiful. This is the kind of church I can get behind. Uh, I don't want you to get across uh, from me tonight that I am anti-church. Uh, I am all about church. 
but it only works when it's focused not on its own agenda, but when it's focused on Jesus. So the church was this beautiful thing, uh, and now it's this thing that has so much baggage. A lot has happened over the years. And so for the rest of our time, I just want to look at some of the holdups, the categories that that church uh, creates today for us. And I want to look at them through the lens of Jesus. So if we listed out like tons of holdups that people have on church, we could come up with a lot. Uh, but I sort of want to put a few of the common categories uh, that we see with church. The first one is this. Uh, church is known for being over-political and power-hungry, right? Over-political and power-hungry. When I was in elementary uh, school, I, I went to a church in the South, and uh, most of the time I did not listen to the preacher. I scribbled, I drew like airplanes and things like that, and I sat by my parents and uh, there's this one Sunday, I heard the preacher say something, and it really just uh, made me uh, focus, and I wasn't sure why. I didn't know what a Democrat or Republican was. Uh, I didn't know anything about separation of church and state. I didn't know any of that kind of stuff. But as I was drawing my little doodles, I, I heard this preacher start talking about politics. And at some point, I heard him endorse to his entire church, he's saying, and he said some phrase like, as for me, I'm going to vote uh, for George Bush. And so he said to the entire congregation, and even as a kid, even though I didn't know uh, what, you know, any kind, of, uh, any kind of debate in that area, something piqued my interest about that. I, I just thought to myself, isn't this supposed to be a place about, like, learning about Jesus? What is all this talk? And I didn't know anything about George Bush, Bill Clinton, any of those kind of things. Uh, but something just seemed off to me about that. And now, of course, like evangelicals and Christianity are a huge piece of the political rhetoric that takes place in our country. A lot of sway uh, takes place with, with Christians in our country. And many say this is a Christian nation, uh, but it happens to be uh, one of the most religiously diverse nations in the world. And so that's one of the observations about church that people make. It seems so overly political and power-hungry. Beyond politics, uh, churches can seem power-hungry in themselves, led by CEO types that want to climb the ladder and have their own agenda. And so I want to look at this a little holdup and focus our lens on Jesus and see his approach to this kind of stuff. So uh, in this day, the Israelites thought the Messiah was going to come to bring them power. They were excited for the Messiah to come to be a powerful king and to conquer all the nations, restore them to the top. And Jesus took a different approach. Uh, Philippians 2 gives us this beautiful glimpse of the mindset of Jesus. Uh, We see this, uh, Philippians 2, 3 through 8. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not, uh, look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant." being born in the likeness of man. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Does this sound like any politicians you know? 
It's sort of the opposite of trying to use religion to gain sway or power and influence. Jesus came and gave his power away to serve others. So here's the deal. If we're going to focus on Jesus, instead of being known for power, we should be known for sacrifice. That's what this gathering should be known for. Not for achieving power, sway, but being known for sacrifice. Now, another holdup that's commonly held with the church is that the church is judgmental, uh, hypocritical. Uh, Any of you guys ever seen the movie Saved before? It's an older movie. Yep, just me? Okay. Yep, me and another person. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Fascinating movie. It's sort of a a parody that sort of looks at the Christian subculture, uh, a judgmental subculture. Uh, looking at people on the outside and wanting to see what's wrong with them. And there's a little group within this Christian subculture. It's actually led by Mandy Moore, her character. And it's uh, this group of girls, and uh, they're going after uh, one of their friends who they're really worried about because of the choices that she's making. And uh, they get out of van. They're going to capture her to basically help her from backsliding. And Mandy Moore... Uh, is chasing after this this other girl, and the other girl says to her, you don't know the first thing about love. And Mandy Moore, I love this, she takes a Bible, and she violently throws it at the girl, and she says, I am filled with Christ's love, and it hits her on the back. I just love that. I'm filled with Christ's love, and she throws the Bible. And then the other girl picks up the Bible, And she says this phrase that I just love. She says, don't you know this thing is not a weapon? This thing is not a weapon. How many of us uh, have seen Christianity or the Bible used as a weapon towards others? Calling them out, belittling them. So when we judge people, we we separate uh, them and us. We separate us into categories. That's them, that's uh, this is us. Uh, but when we look at how Jesus approached it, uh, we can see this. I talked about uh, this story last week a little bit. Uh, a guy named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I always think it's funny, like, if Zacchaeus were to, like, time travel to the future and he came to see us and he was like, oh, you're till everybody's still telling stories about me? Like, how I met Jesus and I gave away all my, like, money to the poor? No, man, it's because you're super short. You're a wee little man. That's all we remember about you. Uh, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, uh, but he was also a tax collector. In that day, uh, the Israelites uh, hated tax collectors the most. They were sort of the most despised in this tribe, and that was Zacchaeus. And so Zacchaeus uh, came to, uh, he heard Jesus was visiting his town. So he climbed up in a tree, and uh, this is what happens. In Luke 19, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, uh, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. This is what Jesus did. This is what Jesus was known for, entering into the lives of of sinners, entering into the lives of people that were considered other. Instead of separating, he joined those people. He 
He entered into their stories. So for us, as a gathering focused on Jesus, instead of separating uh, into us versus them, we need to enter into other people's stories. This is what we should be known to known for, entering into other people's stories. That means learning about others. It means listening to others. It means being present with them. Now, some of you might say, well, doesn't the Bible talk about like accountability, holding each other accountable. Yeah, definitely, definitely. That's super important. Uh, there's a difference, though, between accountability, correction, uh, versus judging. See, I need accountability. Uh, I, I ask my Christian brothers to keep me accountable, to keep me on the right path. I actually want to show you a quick picture. Uh, yeah, okay. This is uh, me with the pink tie there. Yeah, that's right. Uh, this is my wedding day, and this is our boy band picture that we came, <laughs> we decided to take. I don't know why we took ourselves so seriously. It's sort of, uh, it's embarrassing. And then someone pointed out this morning, the guy on the bottom right, if you're like, yeah, everybody's like, yeah. Uh, he actually works at a church now, of course. Just look at his hair. Uh, but these uh, these guys, most of them in this group, these are my groomsmen, uh, most of them, uh, were my original life group, original small group that I was in in college. And uh, these are guys, I, the guy with the weird hair. I just talked to him this past week, and we were uh, praying for each other, talking to each other. And I need people in my life to hold me accountable. I'm asking for that. I need you to, to spur me on. The difference between that and judging, though, is uh, we have entered into each other's stories. Our accountability comes from a place of love, a desire to help each other. Uh, even as a pastor, I have, uh, I have asked myself to be accountable more than others. That's a part of my role. But that's different than how we tend to judge those, especially outside of the church. And so instead of separating into us versus them, we need to enter into other people's stories. Now, the, the final one, the final category uh, that I would, I would point out is that the church is known for what it's against uh, more than what it's for. Uh, you and I could write down a list of things that the church is against. When I was a kid, the church was, for a while, was boycotting Disney. I don't know if you guys knew that for some of their things. Uh, uh, you could say the church many times is known for being against gay marriage or against abortion. Uh, so many things that we could write out that they're known for being against, that we're known for being against. Uh, but we want to be uh, known for uh, what we're about, what we love. We should be known for being churches that are passionately uh, in love with God, that we love each other, that we love people. We should be known for being followers of Jesus, serving him, each other in our communities. We should be known for helping the needy, looking out for the marginalized, being good neighbors. When we focus our lens on Jesus, uh, we see what we should be known for. There's this concept called the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, when someone gets to know Jesus and become like him, uh, this is what they will be known for. Galatians 5 says this, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is what the assembly, the gathering of people should be about. So instead of being known for what we hate, 
Let's be known for what we love. Let's be known for what we love. Now, I want to take some time as we finish up uh, just to talk about uh, how Jesus, following him, focusing on him, changes everything. And followers who actually focus on him have changed the world. And this is what we want to be known for. Uh, One of the first things we see about Jesus is how he changed the way we look at humanity. Uh, You might have heard this before, but uh, one of the ways he's changed this is with children. In the ancient world, uh, children were routinely left to die uh, of exposure or particularly if they were the wrong gender. Uh, They were often sold into slavery. And this tradition ended because of Jesus, and he said, let the little children come to me. Uh, Orphanages were first created by followers of Jesus. Uh, The concept of a godparent first came from followers of Jesus, wanting children to be cared for in the absence of of a parent. Uh, Followers of Jesus have changed the way that we care for others. Uh, Hospitals were started from followers of Jesus. One of the early Christians said this, uh, lepers have been made in the image of God. In the same way you and I have, and perhaps preserve that image better than we, let us take care of Christ while there's still time. This is where hospitals uh, originated from, from Jesus followers. If you look at common names of hospitals today, you see Good Samaritan, Good Shepherd, St. Anthony's. These are originating from the teachings of Jesus. Hospices were created by followers uh, that wanted to care for the neglected. Uh, there's a guy named uh, John Henry Dunant uh, who was in battlefields, and he couldn't stand the sound of soldiers crying out after they had been wounded. Uh, so this Swiss philanthropist said he would devote his life to helping them in Jesus' name. And this is actually where the Red Cross was started, uh, started by a Jesus follower. The church became a place to care for the poor. An early church document instructed bishops not to interrupt a worship service if a wealthy person of high rank entered into the service. But if a poor man or a woman uh, entered the assembly, the bishop was to do whatever was needed to welcome them in, even if it meant the bishop were to end up sitting on the floor. They changed the narrative of our entire culture. Uh, slavery was first addressed by the early Christians. Uh, AD 379, a follower of Jesus criticized slavery and scolded Christians who owned slaves. He says, you condemn to slavery the human being whose nature is free upon the one who was who created to be Lord of the earth and appointed to rule the creation. Upon this one, you impose the yoke of slavery. Uh, William Wilberforce as a follower of Jesus, helped lead the charge against slavery. Martin Luther King Jr., follower of Jesus, led the charge against racism. Jesus was one of the first ones to change the narrative of gender equality. In the ancient world, women were uh, often seen as less than equal. Uh, But in fact, the early church was so saturated with women that it was often criticized as a woman's religion. Jesus' friends and ministry partners were women. To the detriment of his own reputation, Jesus spoke with and ministered to all kinds of women. 
per, perhaps the, the most striking example is the women were the first to witness Jesus after he had risen from the dead. So here's, here's the point of me just sharing some history with you. Uh, I want to be clear, the church is a beautiful thing. The assembly, the gathering of people is beautiful when we focus on Jesus. When we're not focused on our own agenda, ourselves, but focused on Jesus. And so uh, tonight, there is a, a spectrum of people here tonight. Some of you have come in and uh, you are not a Christian and you're just interested. You're sort of interested in hearing more. And what I would ask for you to do is just take one step towards Jesus. I talked to a guy at Sank a few weeks ago uh, who would fit this uh, in this sort of tier. And we talked about the idea of reading a book. And a, a book I would recommend is the book Mere Christianity. Uh, it's a great uh, book to just hear more about what uh, Christianity is all about. But maybe you're there. And I would just ask you to take one step towards Jesus. Try to focus out of this obstacle of religion and church and focus on Jesus. Maybe you're here and you have been in the church for a long time, uh, but bitterness has, has built up. Cynicism has built up in you. And the best encouragement I can give you is to take a step towards Jesus. Relook at Jesus' life, his way, his death, his resurrection. Focus on him. Let the other things get a little blurry. Focus on Jesus. And so as we close out tonight, we're going to continue to worship. We're going to continue to sing. Uh, but my hope, my prayer for this entire series has been that we can get clear on the things that matter most. That we would be assembly of young adults that are focused on Jesus, uh, that are focused on breaking bread together, that are focused on caring for the needy, that are focused on uh, the life of Jesus. If a poor person walks in, that we would welcome them. We'd make them feel like home. That's the kind of assembly, the gathering that we want to be. So let's pray together.